animals were everywhere in medieval life. They were used to pull carts and plough fields, they were milked, sheared, skinned and eaten. But were they ever kept just for the sake of companionship? Like my little dog Pepsi here, she's 16 years old, she's a Springer Cocker Spaniel, they're called Sprockers, she's amazing, I love her so goddamn much. The word pet as describing a sort of companion animal wasn't even used in the English language until the 16th century, and even then only in the north of England and Scotland. The Oxford English Dictionary definition states that a pet is, quote, an animal, a bird, etc., that you have at home for pleasure, rather than one that is kept for work or food. Well, for the medievals, this wasn't always the case, as many families who lived in the countryside would have had a byre attached to their living area, which they shared with goats and cattle. Dogs used for hunting would often live indoors, as did cats whose job was to catch mice. It seems that for the early medievals, real pets as we think of them today were a rarity. It's probably because they haven't met Pepsi. Welcome to Medieval Madness. Dogs. Albertus Magnus was a 13th century Dominican friar, scientist and philosopher. Among his writings is a natural history book on animals that details their care. He recommended that dogs should not be allowed to eat straight from the dinner plate or be constantly petted if the aim was to have a reliable guard dog. Otherwise, he said the animal would, quote, keep one eye on the door and one on the generous hand of the master. Most dogs were workers, many of them protecting homes, goods or livestock, and were found in all types of households, both rich and poor. Among the nobility, hunting dogs were highly prized. Known as running hounds, they hunted using scent and varied in breeds from small Italian greyhounds to Irish wolfhounds. Gaston III, Comte de Foy, wrote a book in the 14th century called the Livre de Chasse, which became the standard text on medieval hunting techniques. In it, he describes how to take care of the greyhounds, saying that they should be kept in kennels built from wood that were at least a foot above the ground. The kennel should have a loft so the dog will be warm in winter and cool in summer. The kennel should be cleaned every day and lined with fresh straw. As well as keeping their kennels clean, servants needed to give the dogs fresh water twice a day, take them out for regular walks, and allow them to play, quote, in a fair meadow in the sun. The hounds were fed better than most of the peasantry, being given bran bread and meat from the hunt. When they were sick, they would be given buttered eggs, goat's milk, chopped meat, and bean broth. Gaston explained that a master should always be truthful when speaking to his dog because, quote, Hounds understand me and do as I wish better than any other man can make them do. A greyhound, the favoured gift of princes, was the usual hero of the medieval dog story. So much so that many lords had an effigy of their favourite pet placed at their feet on their tombstones. Noble ladies are often depicted as having lapdogs in medieval illuminations. Usually, the pet would be either held on a leash or shown sitting at the lady's feet. Their collars sometimes decorated with little bells. The Queen Mary Psalter from the 14th century depicts a lady with a dog in her lap. The Romance of the Grail shows another small dog wearing a collar that is patted by a lady who is speaking to Sir Lancelot. A Man's Best Friend Admired greatly for their intelligence and loyalty, people loved to hear stories about their canine companions. The Duke of Berry personally took time to go and see a dog that was known for guarding the grave of his dead owner, laying there day and night. The man had been killed by the English at the Battle of Chiswick in 1373. The Duke was so moved by the faithfulness of the animal that he gave a pension of 10 francs to a citizen who lived nearby, to make sure that the dog had a regular source of food until he died. 
A French book on household management called Le Manager de Paris was written in 1393 by an older Parisian merchant who wanted to tutor his younger wife. In it, the merchant tells the tale of Aubrey de Montdidier, who was murdered in 1371 by an unknown assailant. After his death, his dog took a particular dislike to a man by the name of Macaire. So, King Charles V of France ordered a trial by combat between the dog and Monsieur Macaire. The dog won, Macaire confessed, and was hanged. This tale also appears in the Livre de Chasse, among several others dedicated to the loyalty of medieval canines. Cats Cats were appreciated not just for their skill of catching mice and other vermin, but also as valuable companions in domestic settings, and especially in the monasteries and abbeys. Unless need compels you, my dear sisters, and your director advises it, you must not keep any animal except a cat. Now, if someone needs to keep one, let her see to it that it does not annoy anyone or do any harm to anybody, and that her thoughts are not taken up with it. This was a guide for medieval nuns on how to care for and treat the only animal that they were allowed to keep within the abbey confines. It reflects the view that cats are a frivolous waste of time and food, food that could have been given to the poor. But for the very religious anchoress, who was voluntarily shut away in their quarters, withdrawn from society, their cat was the only friend they had to alleviate their loneliness. Altem, the abbot of Malmesbury, wrote a riddle about the cat in the early 7th century where he described the animal as faithful and ever vigilant. In early medieval Ireland, there was even a whole segment of the law code devoted to cats. This cat section identified several types of cats such as mouses, herders, guard cats, simple pet cats, and kittens, who were cited as playmates for children. It also gave the recompense that would be available to a person if something was to happen to their cat. One that could purr and catch mice was valued as three cows. One that could only purr was worth one and a half cows. Sort of like my cat Daisy, who's cute, but useless. However, in Wales, 10th century laws ruled that a cat should be valued in accordance with its age. It was only worth one penny from birth until it opened its eyes, then it was worth two pence. Once it had caught a mouse, its value doubled to four pence. Royal cats, however, if killed or stolen when guarding the king's barn, were to be valued in a whole different way. The cat's head was to be, quote, set down on a clean level floor and her tail raised up and wheat grains poured over her until they hide the end of her tail. That will be her value. As has always been the case throughout history, the standing of a person dictated how much they and their pets were valued in society. A king's pet dog was worth a pound, as was a noble's, whereas a free man's dog was worth 120 pence, and an unfree man's just four pence. The cats themselves could be exempt from punishment if they were to injure a human whilst carrying out their duties. If they were chasing a mouse and someone who had no business being there was tripped up, then it was not the fault of the occupied feline. In medieval Irish law, at least, there seemed to be a high respect and tolerance of the domestic cat. Inspired by this, one Irish monk wrote his famous 9th century poem, Pangubane, in praise of his feline friend, who he referred to as a hero who was perfect in his job as a mouse catcher. Isn't that sweet? Concerning cats, Albertus Magnus said they, quote, loved to be lightly stroked by human hands and were playful, especially when they were young. However, he also advised that their ears should be clipped so that the night dew was not able to get in, and the cutting off of their whiskers would cause them to lose their boldness. A Woman's Best Friend The 14th century saw the importation of cats from Syria into Europe. These were seen as exotic, as they had brown fur with black stripes, rather than the native grey moggies. 
Isabella d'Est, Marchesa of Mantua, was so desperate to get her hands on one in 1496 that she sent a letter to Antonio Salimbeni in Venice asking him to find three or four Syrian cats for her. Two years later, she was still waiting when another Mantuan courtier spotted one sitting in the windows of a Venetian house. Unusually, it was wearing a collar decorated with little bells, making it obvious that the animal was kept purely as a pet and not a vermin catcher. The owner, who the courtier described as being the oldest woman he had ever seen, could not be persuaded to give up the cat despite the mention of Isabella's name and offers of money. He was similarly disappointed when he tried to negotiate with the woman's son. He determined that, quote, they were both asses. This does, however, show the love that people had for their pets, even in the face of large financial incentives. In the end, Isabella owned many cats, calling one of them Martino, on the sad occasion of his death, the cat was given a decent burial with a sermon preached at the graveside. A fellow Italian named Francesco Bicchetti wrote an elegy about his dead feline, describing how he had lost his beloved, which used to sleep either on his shoulder when he was working on his poetry or on his feet at night. He also lamented how the mice now roamed around freely, annoying him. Bicchetti went as far as wishing for two new stars to appear in the night sky to represent his beloved pet's eyes. I'm not crying, you are. Birds. From the 12th century, bird sellers popped up in Paris, and there is mention of tradesmen near to Notre Dame who specialized in selling both birds that were meant to be eaten and others that were meant to be kept as pets. These caged birds included parrots, sparrows, nightingales, and starlings. By 1292, master bird sellers were employing craftsmen to make their cages. Some were very elaborate, made from gold and jewel encrusted. Again, we can turn to Le Ménagier de Paris as a source on medieval pet care. This time, our elderly Parisian merchant explains how his wife should constantly replenish the water of caged birds and quote, Let carded wool and feathers be put in the aviary to make their nests, and thus have I seen turtle doves, linnets, and goldfinches rear their young. You should also give them caterpillars, worms, flies, spiders, grasshoppers, butterflies, fresh hemp in leaf, moistened and soaked spiders, caterpillars, and such like things which be soft to the little bird's beak, which is tender. Other small mammals that were regularly kept as pets by the medievals included squirrels and monkeys. Both were very well liked among the elite ladies and can be seen in illustrations wearing collars and leads. Monkeys were very popular with the higher members of the clergy who were well known for spoiling them with rich food. It would seem that by the very end of the Middle Ages, more and more medievals were keeping pets, not just for their value as a working animal, but also for their loyalty and friendship. And it would seem that the type of pet which they chose depended on their status and gender. Thank you for watching this episode on Medieval Madness. I'm gonna go cuddle my dog, and I'll see you next week for another video. Cheers.